Eastern Time on Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022, and thank you for joining us for the 134th episode of the Rock and Roll Shrink Radio Show, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Special thanks to our host, NDB Media. I'm Casey Shapiro, and with me tonight is Dr. Stephen Mathis, a.k.a. the Rock and Roll Shrink. We will be taking calls from our listeners and all evening during the show at 914-338-0314. You can also follow along in our live chat room on blogtalkradio.com as the show is happening. Pardon me, I'm just I'm fooling with my microphone for a minute and I'm having a little bit of trouble. I, please bear with me. I beg your forgiveness. Alrighty. So before we begin, a couple quick disclaimers, other than the fact that I don't know what I'm doing with my audio. (laughs) This show does not constitute a doctor-client relationship, nor legal or medical representation of any kind. Also, the views expressed on this show are those of Dr. Mathis and Ms. Shapiro, and are not an official stance on behalf of the psychological community or its peer vetting or regulatory bodies. Okay. Now we would like to do a topic-relevant bit of music played by Dr. Mathis himself. Take it away, Doc. Alrighty, as always, thank you for that, and if you don't mind, please let us know the name of the song and the artist, and its relevance to tonight's topic. So the name of that song was Horse With No Name, uh, which I thought would be kind of a cute pun on tonight's uh, theme, and it was originally recorded Uh, by a band called America, 
back in the day off their, uh, I think off their solo, uh, their uh, first record, their Virgin record, if you will, that had a shoot ton of great hits off of it. And and my favorite Mm -hmm. being Sandman. Oh, yes. Uh, That's one of mine as well. That that's a good choice, and I, and I see what you did there with the the pun. <laughs> uh-huh. Gotta have a dad joke. Well, you know me. I mean, if I can, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I can get away with it, I will. <laughs> oh yes, absolutely. All right. So thank you for that. And as Dr. Mathis mentions, tonight's episode is entitled "The Words All Come Out Wrong: Aphasia and Anomia and Bruce Willis." And there's a nod in there to Jim Kirchie. And we'll discuss the main topic in a moment. Before we begin that, though, let's first go to the Rock and Roll Shrink Recalls, which is a moment of rock music trivia stories as recounted by Dr. Mathis, if you would, sir. So I wanted to do a shout-out tonight on one of, uh, in my humble opinion, a underrated, unsung guitar hero who uh, passed away this uh, 5th of July of this year. <clears throat> and uh, his name was Manuel Charlton, um, mostly known as Manny. Uh, most people have never heard the name, but they know the band he played with because of their, as I like to call it, two-hit wonder band, despite that they have probably 20 recordings out, like 20 albums out. Um, but they made their big-time uh, hit and uh, with one particular record that had the two hits off of it. So, <clears throat> and I'm going to get to that in a minute. So, uh, Manuel Charlton was actually born in uh, Spain, in Andalusia, which is in the southern part. And then when he was two years old, his family immigrated to Scotland, where he started playing guitar and playing with a bunch of local bands, uh, including the Mark V and the Red Hawks, and eventually ended up with a band called the Shadets, which then changed their name in 1968 to Nazareth. Ah, and they based, there we go. Yeah, and they based the name after the band's uh, song, The Wait. You know, pulled okay. into Nazareth, I was feeling about half past dead, right? That's where they get it from. It had nothing to do with them being Jewish or <laughs> from Israel or whatever. Okay, uh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So he was a very bluesy style rock guitar player, and he got he with Dan McCafferty, who was their vocalist, and started out touring in 1971, and they were the opening act for Deep Purple. And part of the way they got that is because the bass player for Deep Purple, Roger Glover, was their producer. And then uh, after they did a couple of records with Roger, they decided that Manuel Charlton could produce their record. And ergo came Hair of the Dog. And from that recording, of course, comes the, you know, Hair of the Dog and uh, Love Hurts, which is the two songs I was referring to earlier. Uh, And about that same time, Dan McCafferty did a solo uh, record that Emmanuel also uh, produced. What most people also don't know is that because of the success of The Hair of the Dog, uh, they came to the attention of someone living in L.A. at the time, Axel Rose, who asked him to actually produce the Guns N' Roses' first record, Appetite for Destruction. So Geffen Records schlepped him in to Sound City Studios in L.A., and he started producing the record. 
and did things like Rocket Queen, Welcome to the Jungle, um, Night Train, Paradise City, and also started doing some songs for what would be their Use Your Illusion uh, record, which includes November Rain. And then he decided he was going to go back and rejoin <clears throat> Nazareth touring or whatever. And so they brought in Mike Klink to finish the producing and recut some of the stuff. Now, my understanding is that uh, around 2018, they uh, issued kind of a reissue, kind of bonus edition of Appetite for Destruction that actually has Manuel Carlton's original mixes on it. So I thought that'd be kind of, an, I've never, I haven't heard it, but I thought that'd be kind of interesting. Uh, at any rate, um, he, he played with Nazareth up until um, 1990 and then broke off with them and started doing solo tours. Uh, eventually uh, did a solo record in 97 and uh, did it, it moved to Texas. I don't know what that was about. Um, I, I, I find that very puzzling, but what do I know? Uh, and formed the Manuel Charlton Band they released two records and then eventually disbanded in the early 2000s. The other thing that most people don't know about Manuel Charlton is that he is the author of a song called Blood on the Walls, which most people don't know, but if you play Doom, you know that song because Manuel Charlton sent it to ID Software and they ended up using it. <laughs> Uh, in the game, so the sound, some of, yeah, some of the soundtrack stuff uh, oh, is on. Okay. Yeah, that it's Doom. Doom. Nice. Yeah, the Doom, the Doom uh, game, which I just think is hilarious. It's one of my favorite games too. So I just thought that was really, and I didn't even know that. I thought that was very interesting. Uh, Two thousand four released another solo record. Uh, and did a lot of covers on that record, including uh, a cover of Tim Harden's Hang On to a Dream and Bob Dylan's Shelter from the Storm. Uh, he then did a follow-up record to that. The, the record, I think, was called Sharp, and then the follow-up record was Sharp Reloaded. Uh, and and uh, 2006 joined a Swedish band called From Behind, which did a couple of records before disbanding uh, the following year, and then he released another solo album. Uh, which covered, which included a cover of Fleetwood Mac's Tusk, which I thought was an odd choice. Um, he then uh, released Hellacious, uh, which had a lot of famous uh, people playing on it, including Stephen Adler from Guns N' Roses, uh, Vivian Campbell from Ronnie James Dio, and um, from Def Leppard, and Tim Bogert. From Cactus, Beg Bogart Napasi, uh, Vanilla Fudge. He's a super amazing bass player that also goes largely uh, un unrecognized and just a freaking fabulous bass player. Uh, and then they reissued his albums uh, along with some extra uh, material, including uh, a sort of a weird, I, I call it a weird version because it almost has reggae esque overtones. Uh, to Dylan's All Along the Watchtower, <laughs> and it's sort of a it's sort of weird uh, Hendrix meets reggae kind of weird kind of dilly. So I, I don't know what that's about, but he creative guy. I mean, it's not my I have to say it's not my favorite thing because I you know if you're going to do All Along the Watchtower, I either want to hear Dylan doing the real version or I want to hear Hendrix doing the woohoo version. But that's just me. 
Um, there was a record that was kind of a compilation, the best of his solo career that was released, released uh, in 2018 called Creme de la Creme. And then uh, when Manny passed away on uh, the first week in July, I think it was the 5th of July, he was uh, aged 80. And no official cause of death was revealed, but I suspect it was natural causes. But I don't know that much about it. But I wanted to put a shout-out to Manny because he's been one of my early rock heroes uh, along with a bunch of other guitar players. But a lot of the other guitar players that are my heroes like Jimmy Page and Rick Clapton and Leslie West and John Fogarty have gotten a boatload of attention and Manuel Charlton has not. And so I wanted to give him... uh, what I consider to be the uh, long overdue dues for him. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Excellent. All right, well, let's get some applause up in here for him. That's one of the things we really like about the trivia stories that you got. There's a lot of people who really deserve these props, and missed them the first time for whatever reason, so they get a second chance for people to find out. So, you know, maybe some of our listeners will go dig up some stuff and listen to it. Yeah, it's be funny because cool. when I saw when I saw Nazareth, they weren't they were double billing with and this was way back in the day, they were double billing with uh, Deep Purple. Uh but that was way into Deep Purple's career after um uh, what's his name? Uh, Richie Blackmore left and uh Ian Gillen had left and they had David Coverdale singing and who was freaking fabulous. And uh, <clears throat> I forget the guitar player's name who died of an overdose. It's really sad. But in my humble opinion, while David Coverdale's vocals were really awesome, and uh, 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 who's the voice of rock was playing bass with them from Trapeze? Uh, Glenn, uh, oh. Glenn Hughes. Oh, God, that guy's got a voice that won't quit. He still sounds freaking amazing. Um, the guy that they had on guitar, and I can't remember his name, and I'm, I apologize to all those fans out there because he was a really good guitar player, but he just didn't really, I just didn't think he meshed with uh, Deep Purple at all. Uh, really did miss, uh, you know, Richie Blackmore for all of his uh, personality flaws. He's a great guitar player. Uh, but uh, Nazareth played right before they did, and I frankly thought Nazareth blew him away, frankly. Uh, they were freaking awesome, and Manuel was with them. They were they were they had the original four guys that started Nazareth. Nazareth stills together. It's just that the uh, the only original member left is Pete Agnew on bass, and his because uh, the drummer Daryl Sweet died, and Pete Agnew's son is now playing drums for them, and they've gone through three or four guitar players. And uh, Dan McCafferty, the lead singer, retired about three or four years ago, and they've got a new lead singer, and, and they sound good, but they're not. They're not Nazareth. It's Sorry, not guys. Same. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, it's just not. I mean, it. it you know, some bands can switch vocalists uh, like Black Sabbath and go on with somebody like Ronnie James Dio and sound freaking amazing, or, or mm-hmm. like Sammy Hagar for you know uh, uh, Van Halen's guy. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, David Lee Roth, but and, and they do a great job and they carry on like, okay, I can do that, but. To me, McCafferty just has a really, really, really signature voice. And if you don't get somebody that kind of sounds like that, it's just not the same for me. Uh, at any rate, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's just me, and I'm okay. Mr. Compulsive, so what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> it's all good that, you know, we can discuss these things. That's Oh, I thought of another band that did that, but I think it did work. Was uh, 
ACDC when they when they lost Bon Scott. Oh yeah, yeah, the guy, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love I love Jones, uh, uh, Brian uh, Johnson. He's a great vocalist, great great showman yeah. too. Super great show. So, so, you know, that one did work out, but sometimes they don't. You know, they, somebody's good, but it's a different band. It, it just is. Yeah, it, it just doesn't. Kind of, yeah, it just doesn't. Well, it's you subjective. know, it's like Gary Cherone. It was like when Gary yeah. Cherone tried to take over. I mean, I, and I love Extreme. They're a great band, and he's perfect for them. But he, sorry, he just sounds like ass, in my humble opinion, with uh, Van Halen. It's just, just not a good match. But he's a great vocalist. No, there's no, you know, no, no shame on him at all. He's a super good vocalist. He's great with extreme. Uh, it's just wasn't a good match, you know. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I kudos to them for Party trying, good. but it just, yeah, just didn't work for me, you know. Got it. Okay. Alrighty. So yeah, you know, I I think that's great, and you know, and it's good that you were able to bring attention to people that that deserve it and hadn't gotten it. So hopefully our listeners will be chasing these up later. Um, again, we will be taking calls from our listeners and questions in the online chat room throughout the rest of the evening until around midnight. That's a little less than 45 minutes from now. So feel free to give us a call. Again, the ni- number is 914-338-0314. And tonight's a good night to not always quite remember the names of people in bands because we're going to be talking about Aphasia and Anomia, and Bruce Willis. It almost sounds like that should be a quirky independent movie with that title. (laughs) All right, so about 180,000 Americans are diagnosed with aphasia each year, but it took a movie star to bring the condition into the spotlight. Um, In April of 2022, the family of actor Bruce Willis, who just turned 67, and I looked at the videos, I have noted that Bruce himself did not speak on the videos, nor has he spoken in two videos made since then. It's the family speaking on his behalf. You know, there's one of him playing a little friendly game of basketball outside with his family and so on, and he's playing and holding the ball, made made a basket and everything, but he's not looking at the camera and he's not talking. And we're going to get into why that sort of matters in a bit. Um, So they recently announced that he would be stepping away from his acting career following an aphasia diagnosis. This is a language disorder caused by damage to the areas of the brain responsible for expression and comprehension, which can affect someone's ability to speak, listen, read, and or write. And side note, we were going to do this topic two weeks ago, but as some of our regular listeners may know, uh, Dr. Mathis had a professional emergency. We had to postpone, run a repeat of an archive show. So we're doing it tonight. And tonight we will discuss what are aphasia and anomia, brief history and explanation, uh, mental health aspects. And the reason I bring that up is because technically, we'll get into this more in a second, but technically aphasia is first a physiological disorder. But there are aspects of mental health that come into it when it happens, and we want to talk about that. Uh, Next, we'll talk about therapy, counterpoints and critiques, and then conclusions, closing remarks, final suggestions, as we usually do. Um, I wanted to uh, give credit real quick. Some of the sources that we use for several of our talking points tonight are a paper called Losing Language, Bruce Willis's Aphasia Disorder Explained, CU, which is... Uh, Colorado University, 
uh, Anschuss, expert, gives insight on aphasia diagnosis, treatment, and recovery. This is by Matthew Hastings, April 6, 2022, University of Colorado Anschutz uh, Medical Campus. Uh, also, to understanding Bruce Willis's aphasia diagnosis, a rush, and it's all in caps, it's an acronym for something, uh, speech therapist clears up what will Bruce Willis's aphasia diagnosis mean for the veteran actor. Some misconceptions about aphasia. That was written March 31st. It was before they officially announced. Um, 2022 by Laura Hegwer. Uh, also, Swathi Kieran and Elizabeth Hoover of BU, and that's Boston University, not Bucknell, Aphasia Resource Center explained the neurological disorder and what lies ahead for the diehard star. That was written on April 4th, uh, 2022 by Steve Holt for The Brink, that's a source, at Boston University. And also we have some notes from Wikipedia. Before we get started, I'm going to check in with you, Dr. Mathis, and see if there's anything you want to bring up before we dive in. Uh, no, it's just that most of the audience probably knows by now that uh, I have anomia, and it's uh, <clears throat> it's inconvenient, but it's certainly not as life-impacting as, a, as an aphasia diagnosis. as for dog, I'm sure. Definitely. And, and I'm not going to lie, and I made no secret of this to you guys or to Dr. Mathis, that's a portion of why I'm doing both of these. So we can talk about both of these. And I know Dr. Mathis will be able to give us some insight on anomia in specific, which will be good. All righty. So let's go ahead and dive on in. So the first part, uh, introduction, what are aphasia and anomia? A brief history and explanation. More explanation than history. Okay. What is aphasia? (laughs) Anaphasia is an acquired loss of language skills. This is distinct from just an inability to speak, for example, which might come from paralysis of the lips or tongue, but really goes beyond that. It would be both speaking and writing or understanding or listening and reading. What can cause aphasia? Damage to any part of the brain that facilitates language can cause an aphasia. Depending on which part of the brain is injured, the aphasia can take different forms. The most common cause of an aphasia is a stroke. And just to be clear, I'm not implying Dr. Mathis had a stroke, and he can speak to anything else on that later. Um, But other things that can also do it, including traumatic brain injury, uh, neurodegenerative diseases, um, for example, Parkinson's might be one, um, tumors, or some infections. And also, please note, the Willis family did not release the cause of the actor's aphasia. And that's why I think it's significant that he hasn't been seen on camera in quite some time. Um, I do not have any news on this. This is complete speculation as someone who's gone through it. But I'm going to guess based on my complete layperson's opinion that I think he had a stroke. And I think that's why he's not facing the camera or speaking for himself right now. Just a prediction, throwing it out there to think about, and we're going to talk a little more about how aphasia occurs and anomia and all that stuff. What are the different subset types of aphasia that you see in patients? This was part of an interview with one of the doctors at Boston University. And they said, generally speaking, there are three. Receptive aphasia, which is difficulty understanding, expressive aphasia, which is difficulty conveying your thoughts and ideas, and a what they call global aphasia, which means you have both. 
The truth, though, is there are lots of different variations of aphasia. And we're not really going to thoroughly cover them tonight. It's just so that you guys understand when we say aphasia, there are lots of little checkboxes that you can check off or not check off, and it's all aphasia. It all counts. Um, so, you know, this is not something that was talked about very much until it happened to somebody who was super famous. So this may be news to some of you, and that's why we're doing it. These types of aphasias are different from primary progressive aphasia, or PPA, which happens gradually because of degeneration in the brain. However, PPA is not dementia. It's not the same thing. In dementia, memory is typically affected first, which can then have an effect on communication and language. But in PPA, the first symptoms are language issues, such as not being able to find words during a conversation. Then as PPA progresses, people start having problems with memory, attention, and other cognitive skills. <clears throat> the following things are early warning signs specifically of PPA. Uh, missing words during conversations, and that can happen with other aphasias, but this is just a list of what you typically see. Replacing words, for example, someone would say plate instead of knife or bus instead of car. You know, they're fishing for something related to the word they wanted, but it's not quite right. Um, and another thing you see is making up nonsense words that sound kind of like the correct word, like you would say lat, L-A-T, instead of cat. All right, anomia, which we talked about a moment ago. Now, some sources to do with this refer to it as a symptom, and it could be a symptom of several different iterations of aphasia. Um, and some sources call it the most basic type of aphasia on its own. And after I get done with this sentence, I'm actually going to turn to you, Dr. Mathis, and see if you have any opinions on this. Um, so they had said, anomic aphasia, the most common type of aphasia, is characterized by difficulty naming objects and concepts with relatively preserved comprehension, fluency, and repetition. And I was going to stop real quick and see if there's anything you wanted to add to that uh, framing of it. And, and we'll I'm going to wait till the end. Yeah. I'm going to okay, wait to the end fine. of this. Sure. That, that's perfectly fine. So we have a bit more to talk about on anomia in specific. And I'm not going to settle the question, does it count as a symptom or as an aphasia of its own? I'm just going to tell you what experts have said, and Dr. Mathis can add on as he wishes. Okay. Uh, um, the next part is from NF Dronkers, J.V. Baldo, an Encyclopedia of Neuroscience from 2009 on anomic aphasia. Anomic aphasia is the mildest of the aphasias with relatively preserved speech and comprehension but difficulty of word finding. The persistent inability to find the correct word is known as anomia, which is literally without names. Anomia is actually a symptom of all forms of aphasia, but patients whose primary language problem is word retrieval are diagnosed as having anomic aphasia. In other words, patients with anomic aphasia have relatively preserved speech fluency, repetition, comprehension, and grammatical speech, but sometimes have difficulty with word finding. Anomic aphasia, also known as dysnomia, nominal aphasia, and amnesic aphasia, is a mild fluent type of aphasia where individuals have word retrieval failures. What I'm doing is these are a couple of different definitions, just so I can capture all of the nuances between the different 
uh, universities and experts and how they see it. So individuals have word retrieval failures and cannot express the words they want to say, particularly nouns and verbs and proper nouns. Don't even get either one of us started. <laughs> um, anomia is a deficit of expressive language. Anomia is a symptom of all forms of aphasia, but patients whose primary deficit is word retrieval are diagnosed with anomic aphasia, which they also said in the other definition. Patients with anomic aphasia have relatively preserved speech fluency, repetition, comprehension, and grammatical speech. There are around seven or more subtypes of anomia varying by cause of the symptoms. I'm not going to get into those or list them tonight, but they were just talking about there are kinds of anomia based on what part of the brain got injured and what injured it. You know, was it a physical injury? Was it a disease? You know, all this different kind of stuff. That's partly how they separate all these kinds of anomia out. So by the time you separate out aphasias and anomias, we've got quite a wide menu to choose from, but I don't want to overwhelm you guys. So I'm just telling you it's out there, but we're not going to get into it. Anomic aphasia occurring by itself may be caused by damage to almost anywhere in the left hemisphere and in some cases can be seen in instances of right hemisphere damage, but not as often. Anomia can be genetic or caused by damage to various parts of the parietal lobe or the temporal lobe of the brain due to traumatic injury, stroke, or brain tumor. While anomic aphasia is primarily caused by structural lesions, they may also originate in Alzheimer's disease disease, anomia may be the earliest language deficit and posterior cortical atrophy variant of Alzheimer's or other neurodegenerative diseases. Although the main causes are not specifically known, many researchers have found factors contributing to anomic aphasia. People with damage to the left hemisphere of the brain are more likely to have anomic aphasia. Broca's area, the speech production center in the brain, was linked to being the source for speech execution problems with the use of functional magnetic resonance imaging, in other words, uh, fMRI, now commonly used to study anomic patients. Other experts believe that damage to Wernicke's area, which is the speech comprehension area of the brain, is connected to anomia because the patients cannot comprehend the words they're hearing. Although many experts have believed that damage to Broca's area or Wernicke's area are the main cause of anomia, current studies have shown that the damage in the left parietal lobe is the cause of anomic aphasia. Aphasia in general is a far more common condition than most people realize. Conservative estimates say that 2 million people, 2.5 million people in America are currently living with aphasia, which is way more common than Parkinson's, Huntington's and ALS combined. And with this, I'm going to pause and check in with you, Dr. Mathis, for further commentary. Yeah, uh, I can tell you that I've had it all my life. Uh, I suspect I got it from my dad's side of the family because they have a lot of learning disorders and attention deficits in his side of the family. So I uh, sort of attribute it to that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Which is one reason um, that I was also kind of concerned because what you've done, I, I don't think I shared this with you. Uh, Saturday a week ago, I had an extremely nasty fall uh, that ended me up in the ER and getting a CAT scan <laughs> on my brain. And uh, it was. You did not share this the, with me. <laughs> Surprise! I know. I know. 
Uh, it was because I did a dumb thing, and I've used my dumb example with my patients because I tell all my patients all the time, never forget two things. Number one, IQ is overrated, and number two, if you don't manage your pathology, it manages you, and I reference myself as a great example of both of those. <laughs> anyway, last uh, Saturday week ago, uh, I did a pretty dumb thing and ended up on the concrete in front of my house with my uh, Skull bleeding like crazy on the, that's right, left side of my brain. Uh, so I was like, okay, this is uh, potentially not good. At least it wasn't the prefrontal switches job security. <laughs> so, yes, yes, uh, <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so after the uh, ambulance took me in, I got checked out in the CAT scan and all that kind of good stuff, sewed up in stitches and all that kind of good stuff. Um, I had uh, a lot of um, vertigo up until about two days ago, and that seems to have gone away. Now, my shoulder's kind of messed up, and I'm going in to get stitches out tomorrow and check my left shoulder to see if I did some damage to that, and I may need to MRI with that. But anyway, the, the, the short version of this is it has not impacted my anomia uh, to the worst. It just, it's just the same old, same old as it's always been. It's just annoying as heck, and, uh, you know, I there's no history of Huntington's chorea or Parkinson's or myotrophic lateral sclerosis in my family in any case. Um, but there is a lot of uh, learning disorders and attention deficits on my dad's side of the family, so I always attribute that to that because I've had this since I was a little kid. And uh, fortunately, it has not gotten worse as a result of last uh, Saturday week ago's uh, mishap, so I'm pretty happy about that. <laughs> so there you go. Wow. And now I can... I can tell you that, that what I do is I do workarounds. Um, yeah. I do a lot of associations. So I make mm -hmm. music associations because that means something to me. So I'll make associations with certain words, uh, with lines in a movie or lyrics to a song, because I'm also a movie freak, as you know. Yeah. And a lot of times, and, that, and that's true for the for listeners, it's not just people's names. It's names of objects like salt and pepper shaker, like pen, like desk, like stapler. You know, and it yeah. literally is like somebody just took the word and yanked it out of your brain and kind of put it behind their back and went, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's pretty annoying. Uh, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you just kind of laugh and shake your head and go, okay, it'll come back in about five seconds. And it almost always does. Uh, or it'll come back 20 minutes later and I'm going, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> that's the name. Yep. And, that's uh, the one that happens you know, to me. Just, I, I usually get it in five minutes later after I've gone some some unrelated thing and moved on with my life. And then uh -huh, here it comes. Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I, you know, I've just learned to laugh a lot because, you know, what you're going to do, because I can tell you that the more stressed out you make yourself over it, the more anxious, the more irritated you get with yourself over it. It just generates more chemical dysregulation that makes the anomia worse. So your best bet is just to shake your head and go, yep, here it is again, and just kind of shake yep. your head and let it pass. It will come back. And yeah. I've been really fortunate that it has, and, you know, I'm not complaining. So there you have it. Nice. Well, it'll make it feel slightly better. I actually fell a couple weeks ago on my left arm, so now both my arms are screwed up. <laughs> oh, wow. wow. Two Catch completely it. different things. <laughs> Yeah, but I didn't fall on my noggin, so at least we have that. There you go. Um, That's better yeah. than I did. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think our listeners know by now that both of us are willing to 
sort of bring our personal experiences into these stories. And sometimes it colors why we even do certain topics so that we can, you know, because we are trying to destigmatize stuff, make it accessible, make people feel like it's okay to ask, you know, is this happening to me? Make them not feel ashamed about it. You know, I'm not ashamed of any of my pathologies, and I don't believe you are either. You know, I don't mean to speak for you. No, but, no um, and actually, yeah. you know, I have, I was wearing a band, you know, I'm wearing a, well, I'm not anymore, but I was wearing, I, tonight's my first night, I haven't had to wear it. I was wearing a, you know, like a, a patch over the hole in my head and, you know, a bandage around it. And I was showing up in a running outfit, so it almost looked like I had a sweatband on, you know. And people were coming in and they go, oh, I know. This is not a fashion statement. Right? Not, uh, this isn't my GQ look or whatever, you know. Uh, and, and so I would I would use my example because well, you know people come in and they see the stuff on the wall and they go, oh my God, you're a genius. Oh my God, yada yada. And and you know technically that's true, but. Again, I say, if you don't use your IQ points efficaciously, if you don't have a moral and an ethical code behind the IQ points, and you don't have any common sense, which would be me, uh, it doesn't really do you a lot of good when you're going to get mail out of the mailbox and there's a honking-ass, huge-ass uh, wasp, hornet, whatever it is on it, and you decide you're going to spray it to kill it, and you don't kill it, and it comes after you, and you trip over your shoes and fall backwards. And that's what happened. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah, I told you it was dumb. I told you it was dumb. Like, <laughs> and I've been telling that story to my folks coming in to say, look, guys, even smart people who know better or should <laughs> make dumb yeah. errors. You know, yeah. dumb. It, you know, should it's know just, better. What do you? Yeah. And, and it really depends. On, it really look. You have to look at what do I do most of the time? Do I make good decisions most of the time? You know, do I yeah. do the right thing? Most of the time, because none of us are perfect. None of us are God or goddess or, you know, Allah or, you know, Yahweh or whatever. We're just people trying to make it. And yeah. we all have gifts and we all have weaknesses. And I think that that's really important for both folks on this show to hear and for folks who come in to see me to hear uh, so that they're not beating the crap out of themselves for whatever shortcomings they may or may not have. Because it's just exactly. we all have them. We all yeah. have them. Definitely. Okay, so with that, let's go ahead and go on to Section 2, Mental Health Aspects. And this isn't very long, but I, I wanted to make a specific point because, you know, it is a psychology show, and we realize aphasia typically is more of a physiological thing. Um, so aphasia is primarily a physiological disorder, but the loss of one's ability to communicate can have profound mental health consequences. Also, a few just a small handful of mental health issues might potentially cause or contribute to having aphasia. Um, one of the big misconceptions about aphasia that's important to remember, especially if you are a friend, family member, caregiver of the affected person, is uh, the misconception is that it impacts cognition, the way somebody thinks. Aphasia is a language disorder, not an intellectual disorder. So yep. when people have trouble communicating, don't assume that their brain is not sharp. In fact, that's part of the frustration, and there comes some of the mental health issues because their brain is still doing everything at 100%, but it comes out wrong, and then they feel like a dork, and then they get on themselves, and it's a big cycle. So there are mental health issues for both patients and those around them when aphasia happens. Frustrations, miscommunications, 
stress, exhaustion, social strain, and other issues can become problematic. Patients can become alienated or you know, feel alienated or depressed from the burden of trying to be understood, as can their companions and caregivers. They may experience over-dependence on other people and a reduced quality of life. Typically, aphasia begins as a physical disorder, but the symptoms of having it can become mental health issues over time. And, you know, which ones really kind of depends on your support system. It depends on your resiliency. It depends on how much yep. you can get treatment and get some of this back. You know, the ones that don't, because we don't really know how it's going to end, you don't find out how the story ends till later, and that can be a big shock. So these are kind of some of the mental health aspects of this. And with that, I'm going to uh, check with you, Dr. Mathis, and see if there's anything you want to add in here. Yeah. The only other thing I would say is sometimes people who have really severe anxiety and or depression issues will have uh, intermittent um, anomia-type problems. That's not really true anomia, but they're so depressed and or anxious that the brains can't think clearly. And usually when the depression anxiety goes away, the anomia goes away. Interesting. I Now I've got a question now that you've brought that up that I did not think of okay. before. Are there okay. some kinds of anxiety or also trauma or depression that might biochemically cause aphasia, not from a physical thing, but from the stress of the mental health issue, have somebody, you know, end up with aphasia because of that? Is that Could that be one of the times that it's a mental health thing originally? Well, yeah, I mean... It- if you, particularly if it's chronic, because anything that's chronic, you are changing the biochemistry of your brain, which means you're changing the wiring yeah. of your brain. Yeah. And if you have a wondering. weak brain system, for lack of a better term, you have a more susceptible biochemistry, you have a more fragile brain system uh, through no fault of your own, you just kind of came out of the sheet that way, you're setting yourself up for increased likelihood for things like strokes. Uh, multi-infarcts, which are now called uh, TIEs, trans-ischemic attacks, uh, and things like aphasia, strokes, that kind of thing. Interesting. Okay. That that makes a whole lot of sense. And I actually did not put two and two together until I worked up the script about the stroke thing because that is when I actually started having that problem. Was My original strokes were back in 2009. And... Ah. Well, there you go. After that, yeah, and after that's when I started struggling with the words. And at first, I didn't realize that I just couldn't come up with them. At first, you know, I thought it was something wrong with my thinking. My thinking was okay. Like the things going on in my brain, in my thoughts, were yeah. still okay and intact, but I couldn't get them out anymore. Or they would come out dumb. I like it. I'd think of it later. Go ahead. Yeah, I liken it to somebody driving a very high performance car. And for whatever reason, you put high-test gas in it, but somebody put the low-test gas in the high-test gas pump when they were refilling the pump, and your pistons are not firing in sync. And oh. because the, the car's gotten gotten contaminated over time, and it's like, oh no, we're not going. And you go up the, the you go to go up a hill, and it's like, nope, we're we're sputtering. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. That that helps quite a bit. That's a good analogy. Okay. Good. Alrighty. Let's uh, go on to therapy, counterpoints, and critiques. I don't really have counterpoints to this per se. It's mostly mentions of therapy and treatment and diagnosis and that sort of stuff. 
So how is aphasia primarily diagnosed? And if I do some repeating of myself here, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I crib notes from a few sources, so they obviously will repeat themselves quite a bit. And I apologize if that sounds redundant or like I lost my place. Um, okay. How is aphasia primarily diagnosed? It, and these are quotes from somebody. It can be challenging. Sometimes it's obvious. And to tell you the truth, in the setting of common situations like stroke, it can be very obvious and dramatic at that time. Someone is clearly just really struggling to speak. That can be quite alarming. And that's an immediate reason go, to go to the hospital as soon as possible. That, that was one for me. I was, all of a sudden, I had trouble talking, you know, like I was drunk, but I wasn't. In primary progressive aphasia, that's the PPA thing we were talking about earlier, which I focus on, the quoted person, the onset of the aphasia is more insidious. It creeps up on patients and can often take years to arrive at the diagnosis. People don't know how to describe it, not necessarily just because they're in aphasia, but because our shared language is just as bad, describing slow loss of language. Most people who come into the clinic for what is called a memory problem. Oh, that sentence was written very oddly. I apologize for that. Just sort of a grammatic string that just peters off. Um, I, I guess what he's trying to say is people who come into the clinic are coming in for what is called a memory problem. And it takes some doing to figure out that it's just problems remembering words or what things mean. Honing in on that often takes awareness, attention, and some expertise on behalf of the medical provider. Next question. What are the treatment options for aphasia? Well, of course, you want to treat the underlying cause, whatever that might be. If it's a stroke, you want to stop this person from having more strokes. That's where you, be, you, where you would begin. The mainstay of recovery is speech therapy for just about any type of aphasia. The way that speech therapy is tailored constructed and delivered depends on the nature of the aphasia. It would make no sense, for example, to treat a receptive aphasia the same way that you would an expressive aphasia. Remember I talked about that earlier, whether you could receive the information that's being given to you properly or if you have problems getting it out of you properly. You know, these are both forms of aphasia and they can be caused by different things. Um, you know, the clinician says they're very different. And that's, again, painting with a broad brush. Specialists will get even deeper into the nature of the aphasia and hone their therapy appropriately. There are added things like communication strategies for loved ones to talk to the person with aphasia. There are a lot of different ways of communicating successfully. And so usually you can find a strategy that is more effective. There are resources for coping, whether a support group, paying attention to mood, making sure the quality of life remains as high as possible and that the person is as safe as possible. I think it's important to note that while an aphasia can be a very frustrating disorder, there's a lot that people can still do. Often aphasia spares other cognitive functions. So some people with an aphasia can, for example, drive just fine. They can still go out to activities that they enjoy so long as they find a way to effectively communicate the things that they have to do. Next question, what's the recovery outlook for aphasia? Answer. Like anything else, it depends on the severity of the injury. It depends on the access to appropriate therapies and treatments. It also depends on the cause. If it's an incurable disease, we're probably not going to fix it. 
but we can try to make it better, make living with it easier, and improve quality of life. But in the setting of stroke, especially a mild stroke, aphasia often improves. That's what happened in my case. Uh, same for traumatic brain injuries if the injury isn't devastating. I'm not sure. I have a quick question, Dr. Mathis. What would be an example of a traumatic brain injury that isn't devastating? What do they actually mean by that? Because it seems contradictory. Um, generally speaking, any kind of uh, head injury is, you know, if it's anything that uh, breaks the skin or, you know, you're unconscious or you're dizzy or you're seeing stars or the room spinning, kind of like it was with me, is considered a quote-unquote traumatic brain injury. Uh, getting hit in the head with a baseball and you're like, oh, that hurt is a non-traumatic brain injury. Okay. All right. I just wanted to make sure because at first blush, that sounds uh, like it's contradicting itself. But thank you for uh-huh. cleaning that up for me. <laughs> sure, no problem. Uh, at least it's not cleaning up a hive of bees. <laughs> Let's not do that anymore. All righty. Uh, so how do we treat aphasia? Is there a cure? Um, according to Dr. Kieran, unfortunately, there is no cure for aphasia. Fortunately, traditional treatments for aphasia are proven to be quite effective. Traditional speech-language therapy, which involves one-on-one interaction with the therapist, just practicing and exercising drills every day has been shown to be quite clinically significant in terms of improving outcomes. People who receive therapy go on to lead successful, happy lives. It's a long road to recovery, but the brain, especially after a stroke or a hemorrhage, is quite plastic. And by that, they mean you know flexible and malleable and can change and adapt. They don't literally mean you have plastic bags in your head. (laughs) And rehabilitation harnesses that plasticity. This is also true in the case of primary progressive aphasia, PPA, where the condition declines over time. There's promising new data being published, and it hasn't, it's not out yet, or I would have shared it with you, where the conditions, um, no, excuse me, wrong paragraph published showing that such structured rehabilitation can slow the disease down or even stall it. And with that, I'm going to check in with you, Dr. Mathis, for further remarks. Um, It's also important to feed the brain properly uh, to make sure that you're growing, that when you're getting therapy, you're, you're feeding the brain so that it can grow neural pathways better. Gotcha. Um, and, and our listeners can probably look through the titles of several of our previous shows, and we have discussed some dietary things on occasion because broadly a lot of the suggestions that we make, you know, we're, we're making them on that show because of that specific pathology, but a lot of them are just generally good for you and good for your body and yes. good for your brain. And, yep. and those will That's help correct. your chances of recovery much better. That's correct. And. If y'all can't find them, let me know because I have the library index, so I can I can help you find these notes. <laughs> All right, conclusions, closing remarks, and final suggestions. Um, the one thing I did want to make a point of mentioning was a particular book that was on a website I was looking at, and it, it said although not many literary cases mention anomic aphasia, and what they mean is you know it's not in fiction or movies or anything else like that much. Um, many nonfiction books have been written about living with aphasia. One of them is entitled The Man Who Lost His Language by Sheila Hale, H-A-L-E. 
It is a story of Hale's husband, John Hale, a scholar who had a stroke and lost speech formation abilities. In her book, Hale also explains the symptoms and mechanics behind aphasia and speech formation. She adds the emotional components of dealing with a person with aphasia and how to be patient with the speech and communication. And I was going to see if there's anything else in general about the topic that you wanted to bring up that maybe needed more coverage or something I forgot to mention at this point. Nope, I'm good. Thank you. Okay. All right. So that is essentially it for actual aphasia and anomia. And we don't have any callers on the line. So uh, on behalf of myself, Dr. Mathis and NDB Media, we want to thank our listeners this evening and give our appreciation to those of you who might be joining us later via podcast, iTunes, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, etc. And we'll see you guys in two weeks with a new topic for discussion Wednesday, August 17th, 11 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on blogtalkradio.com. We'd also like to give a shout-out to other NDB Media shows coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, tomorrow night, Travel Itch Radio. Uh, that'll be at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Arkansas will be the place to be for the 2024 solar eclipse over the United States. Hear all about this rare celestial event and other happenings in the state on the August 4th edition of Travel Itch Radio. Listen live at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as Dan Schlossberg and Mary Ellen Nugent Lee interview Kim Williams, Eclipse Project Manager for the Arkansas Department of Parks, Heritage, and Tourism. This will be the 469th episode of Travel Itch Radio. And you know what? I'm going to stop and give those guys some applause for that. That's a pretty cool benchmark. Here we are with our little bitty 134. Yay! <laughs> it, it, it's all good. Travel Itch Radio is a, a long-standing tradition here at Blog Talk Radio and uh, NDB Media. Okay. Sports Talk with the Guys, Saturday morning extravaganza, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And, yeah, that does mean that Roger gets up at 6 in the frickin' morning to do this, which explains why they're all crazy. The Monday morning quarterbacks are live on Saturday morning on StreamYard. So please check the NDB Media page on Facebook for links and times of the show. Uh, in a couple weeks, Sunday the 14th, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, please join me for a new offshoot of The Walking Dead. This is the Tales of the Walking Dead online viewing party. Season 1, Episode 1, there will be six in the series. It's a mini-series shoot, offshoot, and that will premiere Sunday the 14th. Uh, official AMC synopsis to be announced. I'll let you guys know. Monday Night in America with Roger Noriega, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Roger Noriega brings you his unique take on politics, current events, entertainment, sci-fi, and history, currently also hosted on StreamYard. Tuesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Fandom Access Week in Review. Join the creative critics, Jamie, Karen, and AJ as they tackle another night of TV. Recent hot takes have included Westworld, Moonhaven, Paper Girls, American Horror Stories, and whatever else sounds good. All right, so please look for The Rock and Roll Shrink on Facebook, on Twitter, on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and on the web at www.rockandrollshrink.com. Good night, everybody. Thank you for joining us, as always, and rock on. Good night. Good night.